Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Contu. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I'm Elise, your host, and today we're diving into a diagnosis. It's a lot of D's right there. We're diving into a diagnosis that has a tremendously special place in my heart. But it didn't always start out that way. Now, if you've seen the episode title for today, you know that we're talking about multiple myeloma, and I'm really, really excited to get into it with you today. So first and foremost, when I first started my job as an OncoPT, I felt immensely prepared to treat all cancer diagnoses. Just kidding. That was a total gotcha moment. I felt very confident treating patients with very select diagnoses. So think breast cancer, prostate cancer, even colorectal cancer. But the diagnoses that I was absolutely, without a doubt, hands down the most unprepared for were the hematological malignancies. And dare I say, multiple myeloma was absolutely at the top of this list. Prior to this, prior to actually seeing my first patient with multiple myeloma, I don't know that I had ever met a person with multiple myeloma. I don't know that I fully understood what multiple myeloma was. But when I started actually working at my job, my very first PT job in a cancer center, the team that I was working with, so the oncology team, had a significant chunk of hematology oncology professionals who really were kind of leading the charge in a lot of this for my specific area. So I saw a lot of their patients very quickly and frankly had to learn very quickly. So I hope you're in a place where you feel somewhat confident to treat hematological malignancies, but if you're not, this episode is for you. If you need to brush up on your multiple myeloma knowledge, this episode is just for you. Because in today's episode, we're going to dive into what are five things that you need to know about multiple myeloma so that you can start treating these patients better today. So first off, we need to establish what is multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a cancer of the B cells. And what happens in multiple myeloma is that there is this proliferation of plasma cells within the bone marrow. These plasma cells are not good, healthy cells that we just suddenly have a lot more of. These are abnormal cells that actively impede our body's ability to do its job. That's kind of the name or the MO of cancer, if you will. Now, multiple myeloma is actually the second most frequent hematological malignancy in the United States. It's only behind non-Hodgkin lymphoma, so it's actually kind of common in that sense. It makes up about 1% of all cancer diagnoses here in the United States. And so if you're thinking back to when we talked about osteosarcoma, sarcomas, soft tissue sarcomas, all of the sarcomas together 
make up 1% of all cancer diagnoses in the U.S. Multiple myeloma by itself, by its lonesome multiple myeloma self, makes up 1% of all cancer diagnoses here in the U.S. So no, it's not as common as breast cancer. No, it's not as common as prostate cancer, colorectal cancer, lung cancer, etc. It's actually kind of significant in this sense. And what's really important and interesting to note here is that multiple myeloma is the most common primary bone malignancy, which kind of caught me off guard originally because I thought, oh, osteosarcoma. I mean, you know, we just like in July, we just finished talking about uh, bone malignancies and whatnot via osteosarcoma. It's actually multiple myeloma that takes the lead here, which is really unfortunate. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the side effects and whatnot, how multiple myeloma affects bones previously, but it's important to note that we will probably see these patients. No, again, not as common as our breast, colorectal, lung, prostate, etc. but you will see these patients, and we need to be ready for them. The next thing to know about multiple myeloma is that there are significant racial differences among patients diagnosed with multiple myeloma. We know that there are definitely differences between different ethnicities in the United States on who gets what type of cancers, even amongst like the same type of cancer. For example, breast cancer, triple negative cancer versus HER2 positive, etc. So this gap is really amplified in patients with multiple myeloma. We see that it tends to affect older patients, especially around ages 60, 61, 62, males more than females, and particularly black Americans are more affected than white Americans. And on top of that, even when accounting for race, socioeconomic factors, black Americans also have a worse prognosis, a worse survival rate than those of white Americans. So even when accounting for these different sociocultural factors, we still see that this is definitely a significant gap between races when it comes to multiple myeloma. And this is something that researchers are still trying to learn more about and figure out exactly why this is going on. The next thing to know about multiple myeloma is that its signs and symptoms are crabby. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't necessarily mean grumpy, but to really understand the signs and symptoms of multiple myeloma, why they happen for a person, we're going to do a little deep dive into the disease process. And no, this is not going to be your extensive cellular molecular biology class, but I think that when we understand what's happening, it kind of makes the signs and symptoms make a little more sense. So as we know with multiple myeloma, there's this proliferation of plasma cells within the bone marrow. And what happens here is that this causes or can cause an overproduction of a specific type of protein called M-protein. And these proteins, which are again abnormal, these are not normal proteins that do their job, these abnormal proteins stimulate osteoclasts, suppress osteoblasts, and that action working together of increased clasts, decreased blasts can cause bone abnormalities. We'll come back to here in a bit. But these proteins can also cause organ damage, particularly in the kidneys. And unfortunately, these proteins can also interfere with antibody production, which means that our patients can be immunocompromised and end up with recurrent infections. That unfortunately is very, very common in this multiple myeloma patient population. 
All in all, these abnormal cells are very problematic. And so these abnormal plasma cells, they overaccumulate and then they crowd out our normal bone marrow cells within the bone. And perhaps this is what's most sinister of all, is that this overcrowding, this crowding out can actually cause the bone lesions, these punched out bone lesions that are often the hallmark and sometimes even the earliest signs and symptoms of multiple myeloma. So how the heck to remember all this is through an acronym called CRAP. I did not come up with this. This is something that this is a study tool I have been using. And I think it's a great way to remember what all goes on typically with multiple myeloma. So C in CRAB stands for calcium, elevated calcium. Again, because of those abnormal bone processes that breaking down, we see that release of calcium into the blood. And that can cause a whole slew of after effects as well including that renal failure. So R stands for renal failure. A stands for anemia. And B stands for bone lesions. Now, I don't know if you've seen a person with multiple myeloma yet, but this mnemonic has basically described all of my patients that I've seen with multiple myeloma so far. I mean, it's like classic textbook but I actually see it clinically. This is one of those few times in which like the textbook actually did match the patient presentation really well. And for whatever reason, I don't usually see that in oncology physical therapy. Now, as we've talked about previously in this podcast episode, one of the earliest signs and symptoms of multiple myeloma is actually this unexplained bone pain. Sometimes it presents as low back pain, or maybe it's bone pain in the extremity long bones, or even other bones like the ribs, the skull, or the pelvis. Up to 80% of people, this is from one of my sources that I used for this episode that I will link in the show notes, but up to 80% of people who are diagnosed with multiple myeloma already have some kind of bony lesion or otherwise bone complications at the point of presentation. As in, they have this, they already have this bony lesion, this invasion of the cancer into their bones, causing these lesions by the time they're diagnosed. And as I'm sure you're already guessing, that can absolutely lead to pathological fractures. Now you and I know that bone lesions are a big problem for a lot of reasons. But the biggest one is by far pathological fractures. Pathological fractures cause obviously some very significant pain for our patients, but maybe also immobility issues, functional mobility problems, independence issues, and around about a quarter to a third of patients who are diagnosed with multiple myeloma will already have a pre-existing pathological fracture. Let me read that again. So the exact statistic I think I saw from one of my sources was 26 to 34% of patients diagnosed with multiple myeloma already have a pathological fracture. Already. Like they just got the diagnosis and they've already had this pathological fracture. Later this month, I'm going to dive into a couple specific case studies of real life patients based on real life patients that I've seen with multiple myeloma. And I mean, again, this is like classic textbook. This almost describes one of my patients perfectly. It's it's wild almost because I feel like a lot of my patients don't fit into this neat little checkbox, you know, 
framework of patients, but multiple myeloma, unfortunately, is very characteristic for a lot of these things. So again, back to our pathological fractures here, very common, very common for patients to experience them even pre-diagnosis. So these, unfortunately, these problems are already happening in our patients by the time they get a diagnosis, which can negatively affect their prognosis, but also their independence, their mobility, their quality of life, etc. Pathologic fractures for individuals with multiple myeloma frequently occur in the spine. They could happen elsewhere, but this is by far the most common, especially that low, low thoracic spine, but even also lumbar spine. And that's where I've tend to see it. I have tended to see it most commonly so far yet in my career. And unfortunately, there's a lot of unfortunates in this podcast episode today. Unfortunately, these pathological fractures can also have an increased risk of mortality associated with them. So a pathologic fracture in this patient population is absolutely a negative uh, prognostic factor for their survival rates. Now, patients can have other signs and symptoms. It's not always they have a pathologic fracture, they get diagnosed with multiple myeloma. There's other stuff happening. Again, when we think back to what's happening within the person with multiple myeloma, again, those abnormal proliferation of plasma cells, overproduction of M protein, M protein is going around screwing up a whole bunch of stuff. And so these patients can have other signs and symptoms. Some of the things I saw really... They kind of tie back to hypercalcemia. So patients could have headaches, polydipsia, nausea, anorexia, again, all because of that increased blood calcium, that circulating calcium that, again, frankly, screws up a whole bunch of stuff. But some patients may actually be asymptomatic when they're first diagnosed. And maybe they were diagnosed kind of as a like a fluke, like an accident. They went in for something else. They were going through routine testing, you know, maybe as part of like an annual physical or something, and then they were diagnosed. Not as common, at least as far as I understand, but we do see it out there, unfortunately. Now, the next thing to know about multiple myeloma is that biopsies are not the gold standard when it comes to diagnosing multiple myeloma. If we look at other cancer diagnoses, for example, breast cancer, I mean, that's that just comes to mind because, again, very, very common here. Gold standard, and I've talked about this previously on the podcast, when we're diagnosing breast cancer, we're doing that biopsy. We want to see what kind of cancer is that, where is it located, are there lymph node involvement, and this is, this is very common across other cancer diagnoses, but multiple myeloma is very different. And because a person's presentation could be so very vague sometimes when they first, you know, they have multiple myeloma, they haven't yet been diagnosed, the diagnosis process could vary dramatically from person to person. Some patients, like I said, are undergoing evaluation to rule out other conditions. Think back to the patient population that is typically affected by multiple myeloma does tend to be our older patient populations. Maybe they're undergoing testing to rule out some other conditions that are more common for older people. And so that could mean they go through different blood testing, different urine testing to see if there's any abnormal levels. And then that elevated M protein or other kind of markers are are caught, which can then lead to that diagnosis. But other patients may even 
have presented with some kind of like bone pain or whatever. Maybe they do some kind of imaging and then go on to do a bone marrow aspiration to test for what's happening within that bone marrow. As I mentioned, some patients will undergo imaging to assess for bony lesions. Again, that's not usually a, hey, we think you might have multiple myeloma. We're going to do this before we do do any kind of lab testing. Usually this is like, okay, we reasonably suspect that this is going on. We need to see, is this pain that you're experiencing a bony lesion? How big is it? How widespread is it? Is it in other places? X-rays tend to not pick up on these lesions until they've invaded about like 50% of the cortex in the bones. So they're not necessarily always the first line, but they can be helpful in very large lesions. Patients may also undergo CT scans or even MRIs to help identify again, where are these lesions? How big are they? How many are there? The next thing to know about multiple myeloma is that multiple myeloma is staged differently than other cancers. Since multiple myeloma is not a solid tumor, we can reasonably expect already, before we even talk about the specific method, we can reasonably expect that we will not be using the TNM system in order to stage multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma instead follows the international staging system, which classifies patients according to stage 1, 2, or 3 using very specific laboratory parameters. Now, as I'm sure you've already guessed, we, you and me, the OncoPTs, we are not the ones who are staging patients for cancer. But I do think it's important to appreciate that with many other cancers, multiple myeloma included, the higher the stage the worst prognosis for the patient. So as a patient progresses into higher and higher stages, one, two, three, etc., their median survival rate in months is going to unfortunately decrease. And one thing that I personally did not understand when I first started working with these patients that I think it, for whatever reason, sometimes it flies under the radar. The reasons for why it does so, we can get into at a different time. But for me, I did not really appreciate multiple myeloma is incurable. As of today, in the year of 2022, when I'm recording this episode, there is no cure for multiple myeloma. What we're really trying to do is achieve remission for these patients. We're trying to get them as close to a disease-free state for as long of a period of time because as my sister very graciously explained it to me, so for those of you who don't know, she's an oncology nurse. She is a bone marrow transplant specialist in the oncology nursing field. Basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to buy them time. And with the treatments that we'll dive into in a future episode, we are trying to, again, decrease the cancer, the tumor burden within that person to get them to a disease-free state and then keep them there for as long as possible. Because when that cancer comes back, and unfortunately, it will come back again as of the recording of this in 2022, that multiple myeloma is going to come back. And this is really where we get into that first line, second line, third line, fourth line, etc. lines of treatment in order to get them to that disease-free state as much as possible. But what we can reasonably expect, unfortunately, is that 
the amount of time that a person has disease-free after that first line of treatment is going to be the longest that they have. The person will undergo second-line treatment at some point, right? And that disease-free survival amount of time is going to shorten. By how much? I don't know. Maybe someone else knows out there. But again, third-line treatment, that disease-free state is going to be shorter and shorter and shorter each time. So unfortunately, the amount of time that we're usually talking about when it comes to multiple myeloma survival is in months. I believe based on one of my sources, stage one multiple myeloma per the international staging system here is usually about 62 months on average. Now, Hopefully with the advances that we're seeing in treatment, and we're even going to talk about a few more next week when I have a really spectacular guest speaker on the podcast episode to talk about it, hopefully we're buying people more and more time. And hopefully we're getting better at treating them so that these patients are able to live longer. The reason that I bring this up, this survival rate up, two things. Again, one, I think it's important we need to make sure that we as the OncoPT, you and me, are aware of this. Because this isn't like other cancers in which people are going to be cured of their cancer and then they're going to live for the next 40 years and everything's going to be great. I pray, I hope fiercely that we are going to get there someday with multiple myeloma, but that's not the case right now. And we need to manage our expectations and have that knowledge so that we a approach a person in the appropriate state of mind. Now, I say this also that we should not approach this person wearing black already ready for their funeral, okay? <laughs> so it's kind of this, this balancing act that we have to play of making sure that we understand that this is an incurable disease, but we can really work with these patients in such cool ways to maximize their independence, their functional mobility, their quality of life, both during treatment, but then after they finish treatment in that disease-free survival state, whatever that is for them, however long that is for them. We can make a significant difference here. And even though this is only roughly 1% of all cancer diagnoses in the United States, the treatment that these patients undergo, the functional impairments that they experience both as a result of their treatment, but also the multiple myeloma itself are very significant. And we, the OncoPTs, have a role to play here. So now I want to hear from you. What did I miss? What else would you have included in this episode about multiple myeloma? Message me on Instagram and let me know at the OncoPT on Instagram. Until next time, this is Elise with the OncoPT. And remember, you are exactly the physical therapist that your patients with cancer need. So let's get to work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the OncoPT podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, leave a rating and review, or support us on Patreon. 